Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast over 13 years, 400 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years. And on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. My guest is Rich Kleiman. He is the co-founder and partner of the Durant Company and 35 Media. He works very closely with Kevin Durant on his investment portfolio. Kevin's got a number of investments, including Postmates, Acorns, the Players Tribune, Jet Smarter, and many more. They also partner on 35 Media, which is Kevin Durant's YouTube channel. Previously, Kleiman helped launch Rock Nation Sports. Rich, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I am very well. Thank you, Brian, man. Thanks for having me. So I, I want to start with your background, which is actually in music. And you helped Jay-Z launch Rock Nation Sports, as I just mentioned. You've obviously transitioned into sports. You do a lot of different things. But maybe you can speak about the transition from music into sports. I know they have a lot of similarities, but they also have a lot of differences. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when when someone asks me that, I still feel like I was a sports guy who transitioned into music. So now that I've been back in sports for the last five years, I feel like I'm where I was supposed to be. I started my love and obsession for sports truly before I probably even could talk. Like I, I was obsessed and fascinated by anything that was on the television at a young age, and especially basketball, and especially the Knicks in the 80s, even when they were horrible. And I remember watching with my family and seeing them look at the box scores and understand what like PTS men and REB and free throws and all that stuff. And all I wanted to do was understand the box score. So I just somehow taught myself how to understand that. And once I did that, that really like taught me how to read. So I was probably reading the like New York times sports section before I was reading books in kindergarten. Um, <laughs> I, that's how I've always wanted to do it. I just wanted to be in the sports world and basketball, especially. So when I, um, the first thing I worked on was the show The Life that was on ESPN. Um, and a buddy of mine brought the show to production company Radical Media, brought me on to produce the show with him. And one of the first things ESPN asked us was who was going to do the music. And they had a very small budget for music at the time. I think it was $250,000 for 32 episodes, but I was 22 years old. And the idea of there being $250,000, period, in the world blew my mind. So I was raised my hand, and I was like, well, I'm going to do the music, too. And everyone's like, have you done music before? And I was like, yeah. Now, I know now, looking back on it, that what ESPN was trying to do was trying to have us ask them for help and quickly give the production cert like duties back to ESPN. But as long as we continued to do the job they were letting us produce this in conjunction with this outside production company so we ended up working on this show and we had two hundred fifty thousand dollars which i know now was nothing and they told me whatever i didn't spend i could keep and i didn't have a dollar so i went to all these young producers and artists and bands in the city and i said to them if you want to have your name on the credits at the end of an ESPN show, I can give you a hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, or no money, whatever it was, and wave, you know, sign this and wave this. So 
So all these young producers that I knew from the city and just knew from being out in, in the club world or just us being a city kid, all these people, I all of a sudden was just getting music after album after song. Some of these guys went turned on to be Mark Ronson, Alchemist, some of the top like producers of the last 20 years. And what happened was I worked on this song called The Life, which was the theme song to the show, and it was with Farrell Monch and Styles P from The Locks. And the song ended up taking off and was like an urban radio hit. So I kind of was like, well, I don't understand what I just did. Like, I love the fact that I was on the set of these shows and I was watching like Larry Brown and, and Alan Iverson at practice while we were doing a segment on Speedy Claxton's rookie year. And I was with Marbury and Coney Island. And we did all these incredible segments, but I somehow started wearing the hat of a music supervisor. So that went to, okay, well, Rich just finished that show. We want you to help us with this show and this show and this show. And next thing I knew, I was doing 10, 12 shows for Radical Media at a time. So I kind of put sports on hold for a second, figured I'd be right back into the sports world. What happened then was I was getting all these artists work. So then the artists started asking me if I'd manage them. I had no idea what I was doing with that either, but I just jumped into it, started managing them. And long story short, from there, I did a joint venture with Clive Davis, a joint venture with Jimmy Iovine. I've been in the studio with Amy Winehouse, with Adele, with Jay-Z. And then that kind of took me to meeting Jay-Z. And we produced his theatrical uh, release of his documentary, Fade to Black. And then he kind of took notice of what I was doing in the music world. All this time, I'm still trying to figure out when I can get back into sports. But realized the kind of train had left the station. So... Jay told me to come over to Rock Nation. I went over there. He gave me a great infrastructure and opportunity to build my music roster. Um, and then I still was like in the music world, but had my eye on sports. And I, I had relationships in the sports world. I was friends with the New York athletes. I knew Kevin Durant from the time he was a rookie. So I really was friends with him, even while I was in the music industry. And um, one day I said to Jay, I think we should start managing Victor Cruz. I'd become friends with him. And he said, well, you know what? I'm actually got something in the works hold on one second whenever he says that like you just gotta wait because you know he's working on something magical so then he told me he wanted to start rock nation sports and i said i'm in and he was like nah for sure i'm gonna i'm gonna get you down i said no i'm all the way in this is the only way i can get back into that world so i ended up convincing him to agree with me that me abandoning everything in music that i had done was the right move jumped into sports helped launch the agency and it was it was everything I had asked for and everything I had hoped for. I loved every minute of it. I've been meeting Sir Robinson Cano and then Des Bryant and then Kevin Durant. But what I realized was Kevin and I just had something special. We were 11 years apart, 12 years apart. We come from completely different backgrounds, but we just like, we're like brothers and we really connected like that from the time I met him at 18. And then again, when we started working together and um, it was just obvious pretty early on in the process that Kevin wanted more, um, he needed more. He, he he felt like he deserved to have his own enterprise, and you know, and Rock really put us in a good position to kind of go on our own and build this um, this company and build and, and build his enterprise. You know, I think what we were able to learn from watching Jay and being within that and that kind of infrastructure of Rock was we took all those kind of resources and realized that like at a certain point, Kevin had gotten to the level where it was time for him to have his own infrastructure and his own kind of staff and, and people dedicated to kind of his vision and his and his business goals. So um, I quickly went from all sports to basketball and now to just to the world of KD. So I feel like I'm in sports because I get to watch the best team in the world, you know, uh, maybe 50, 60 nights of the regular season. But at this point, 
Kevin and I are really just business partners. So much to respond to from what you just said. What an interesting background. No, that was a really long answer, man. No, but it was good. It's Hey, exactly what we're looking for here on this uh, long-form interview show. So, first of all, we both know Lynn Merritt from Nike. It's so funny that you bring up the ESPN The Life Story because do you know Noah Scheinman who used to work on that show? Of course, man. Okay. Noah was the one that did the Marbury segment. That was my guy. Yep. So I was actually on an episode of The Life when they followed around uh, J.J. Reddick, Shavlik Randolph, Amari Stoudemire, and Carmelo Anthony at the Jordan Capital Classic back in the day. Yeah, I remember, man. And I the, remember. the van got lost. So it was like gold for ESPN because it was the adventures of you know being lost in Washington, D.C. But yeah. I love that show. So it's cool that you had something to do with that and that you were a part of that and you know, again, I said we know a lot of the same people. Uh, Charles Terrell is one of my good friends from from Nike, and I know he and KD are, are really close. So uh, the interesting thing about you is, you know, you, you have really made your own way in this business, and it's not easy. And, and the thing that you've done so well from where I sit is you've built great relationships, and you've gotten very influential, high-profile people to trust you. How do you do that? Um, how do I do that? I think, I think I, uh, I think I listen pretty well. My wife probably said I don't, but I think that, um, I'm a pretty good sponge for information. So I'm, I'm like very aware of what I don't know. Um, and I'm very aware of what I need to learn. But once someone tells me something once, I never forget it. Um, and you know, I think I just, I, I'm never, Uncomfortable, you know. I think that there's. You see these players that you'll say that pressure doesn't get to them, or you know you, they're cold as ice, and and you know who those players are. Um, for me, like my court and my field is those rooms. It's like when I get when I was younger, and I used to go into these to these restaurants and these clubs and these events where like a Leor Cohen was, or a Clive Davis was, or you know, a Phil Jackson, well, whoever it was, like when I was growing up, that were those guys, you know, like the Pat Ryan, whoever it was when I was in that room, I never felt nervous. I never felt phased. And to me, like if I could go home knowing that I connected with one of them and I was able to get their number and let them know I existed, I felt like that was a big win for me. And I saw like a real end game for it. I mean, I really like made sure that people remembered me, remembered what I do. Like my big thing was I didn't want to have to tell people what I did for a living. Like if I felt like I could go into a room and people knew what I did, I felt like I had gotten to a certain level Hmm. because for me growing up, like I idolized those people. I idolized executives and CEOs of these companies, usually in sports and entertainment. Um, And especially the generation I grew up in, that's who was really glamorized. You know, that's when like the kind of like, flashy CEO and like the puff daddy and those people were coming out. So that's what I looked up to. It wasn't really stockbrokers and doctors. So I just saw that as like, okay, well, if they know who I am then I'm in the game. And then from there, you know, I just, I listened, I was a sponge and I kind of just like never stopped. I looked at that as working. I never stopped looking for opportunities and, um, and I really took care of those relationships, you know, and really built trust and built friendships first. We'll return to our conversation after a word from our sponsor. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, 
fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Now back to our conversation. Let's dig into your business with Kevin Durant. So, you know, I've worked around a lot of athletes and some of them say, you know what? I make so much money. I'm just going to go with low risk investments and, you know, take care of it that way. I'm not going to go with restaurants or uh, clothing businesses or record labels. You have gotten Kevin to diversify his portfolio. You've really introduced him to some great tech options for him. How do you get the athlete, in this case Kevin Durant, to see the value of, you know, he's already got a pile of money, but you can turn it into not only a bigger pile of money, but a legacy? Um, well, he loves it, right? So first of all, there's nothing I could have done to convince him to be an active investor or really want to grow his um, his network within Silicon Valley if it wasn't something instinctually that he was interested in. We we just like like for instance when Postmates was just starting to come to the you know to the surface and people were starting to talk about it, that was something that you know Kevin and I started using and then started using religiously and then started talking about it and then said, you know what, we're, we, all we do is tell people about this company. This is when he was in Oklahoma. And he started going on the road, and when they played the Mavericks, he'd say to his teammates, like, yo, if you're not going to leave the hotel, just download Postmates or find everything around here. To us being in San Francisco for the Super Bowl, again, he was still on the Thunder, and we drove by the office, and I was like, let's just call them and tell them we want to be in business with them, which led to us being able to invest. And we had a few other opportunities like that. You know, the CEO of Acorns was someone I had grown up with. Um, this, one of the senior partners at Benchmark was someone that went to my high school. And we had gotten some deal flow at that point. But it wasn't until he moved to the Bay that um, it was like I was 21 again and I was trying to meet everybody in sports and um, entertainment. All of a sudden I was in Silicon Valley and Ben Harwitz of Andreessen Harwitz was hosting a dinner for his birthday, him and his wife, Felicia. And in the room is, you know, everybody in Silicon Valley, you know, or every, you know, as many of the big name people as I'd ever seen in one room. And it was the same thing. I just went over and I introduced myself. And obviously at this point I had a much bigger pedigree of success. And I was associated with Kevin and the Warriors are everything in the Bay. So my openings were a lot greater. And I just sat there and I talked to everybody. And, and again, what we did from there was take dinners and take lunches and take meetings. And Kevin came with us and we just sat there and we talked to everybody and understood the, the landscape of the business and really studied it and took our time and asked questions and didn't try to pretend we were these savvy investors. And then all of a sudden, I, you know, I think people started looking at us as these young savvy investors. And I still think obviously we're learning daily and there's 
um, new opportunities that we're kind of uh, have our eyes open to all the time. And when I have to ask questions from people that send me the deal, I have no shame asking it. But I think we have great instincts. Uh, we, you know, we invest. Our sweet spot is in the Series A rounds and some angel investments. We're really like the A rounds. So our check sizes could be anywhere from two hundred fifty thousand to two million. And at that point, there's a lot of due diligence done and there's a lot of analysis. But at the core of our decision making is meeting the executive team and understanding the concept of their company and and looking for some of the traits in them that we've seen in other CEOs that have been successful and and really learning their business and where they want to take it and and spending time with them and spending time with the product or understanding the service that they're providing. And I think that we've, we've really been able to get into some really good deals. And then from that, you know, it becomes a word of mouth thing. And then, you know, obviously having Kevin involved is a plus now having our company involved is a plus. And a lot of these um, VC firms now have have made us a priority call when they get deals and we're really fortunate, but you know, we're in a really good place with that and we're still learning and we are still meeting, you know, the people out there that, that, that have done this for 20, 30 years, you know, and, and, and sit there and pick their brain. But we've been really, we've been really lucky to get in on some great deals. And I think it's like starting to become a, a real backbone for what our business is about. Some of these great young tech companies, because now you'll see some of the deals that we do, like, like an overtime, like you mentioned earlier, start to be a part of our YouTube network. Um, and there's another company that I, I, I won't mention now that's a part of a scripted show that we're working on. So you'll start seeing it all come into play the way his brand deals used to. How many proposals do you receive a week for Kevin and yourself to do business with people? From an investment standpoint? Yeah. I probably get two a day, but I'm fortunate because I have some great allies at these firms um, and some great friends and relationships in the Bay. So I I think they've done a really good job of filtering what they send me. I get some just like completely out of the blue emails. Um, and I don't look at those differently. I mean, obviously if someone from, you know, SV angel or Sequoia or benchmark sends something, there's a, you know, I'm quicker to respond and look at it out of respect for who's sending it to me, but I'll look at everything that's sent. Um, and then a lot of times I get things and honestly, I have no idea what I'm looking at. So I send it to people that, send me other deals. And I, I've really developed that, like I said, that kind of group of, of, of a network that can really shed light on, you know, what their experience was with that executive team. If they were looking at the same deal, if they passed on the deal. So once you get in that kind of sphere out there, you're always like inundated with information. So two a day, you know, on average, I would say. And, and you know, I never go a day without getting one sent to me, though. When Kevin Durant puts on his CEO hat, what are his strengths as a businessman? Reading people, without question. Um, I, I I almost think he's batting a thousand, not on companies we've invested in, but just on his reads on people. You know, like he mentioned something. We were really fortunate to be invited to Google Camp in Sicily, um, and it, to this date, it's like marriage, kids, Google Camp. <laughs> well, no, the giant Super Bowl. I'd say marriage, kids, tied. Super Bowl, Giants, all four of them, and then Google Camp. And you're sworn to secrecy about Google Camp, right? Yeah, yeah. But then I see everybody talk about it. I'm, like, really not telling anybody. And then I see people (laughs) on Instagram posting pictures. So, I mean, mind-blowing. Like, there was – everybody there has changed the world or is changing the world. And Kevin was able to speak on a panel, and someone asked him what he looks for 
um, in a CEO, and, and I'd never even heard him answer the question this way, but he said that he looks for a certain paranoia, and everyone that, um, I was looking at the room when he said that, and I looked at, like, Bob Iger and Brian Grazer and, and Ben Horowitz, and they're all shaking their head yes, and it was because they all had clearly looked for similar things through the years when they were, you know, interviewing young executives or they were hiring people or partnering with people. And what Kevin meant was that as he was coming up and even now, the way he's able to stay so good at the top of his game is because he's constantly paranoid that someone is going to take his spot, that someone's going to be better than him, that someone is on to the secret that he has, you know, that got him to where he is. And when he sees that in these executives that feel that way about their company or their brand or their idea, he instantly feels like there must be something very special there. Now, that is not basis to invest, but if you can't connect and see that in an executive team, especially with an early round investment, then it's not going to work. Because at that point, you're talking about a, there's a million great ideas, but it's those people that will a lot of that to the next level. Because just like there's great athletes that never make it out of a playground, there's great ideas and concepts, and they never raise the money for it. And it can't just be because of the idea. So is everything today, you know, I know he's got his deal with Nike, and the model seems to be, and we're talking non-investments, but endorsement deals here, athletes are taking equity in companies that they work with where they're a spokesperson. Are you doing more of those than just taking straight cash? Like I know, you know, with LeBron, he'll only do equity deals now. He won't do just pay me X for being your spokesperson. Is that how you guys operate as well? Yeah, I bet he doesn't have equity in Sprite, but I know. Well, that's true. Yes. Um, Yeah. And I think that, like, if you look at the blueprint that um, for Kevin and I, like, that starts with who is the first person in this culture that started thinking that way? It was the Jay-Z's and Puppies of the world, right? And then who was the first athlete that really started thinking that way? It was LeBron. So that's the natural, like, progression of how – I've been inspired by it from Jay. Kevin's probably been inspired by it from LeBron. Um, but I think that it's not as black and white as, like, you, we won't take money, we just want equity. Because I'd rather, um, you know, McDonald's pay Kevin $20 million a year than to get equity in, uh, in, a, in some startup QSR. But what I think it is is that you have so much time in the day. You're constantly in front of the media. You're constantly working on your game. You have, if you're at the level of these guys, right? So you're just talking about a really select group of people, Tom Brady, Steph Curry, Roger Federer, LeBron James, those kind of people. You're talking about those people. They have all of that that's going on in their life. Then they have a sneaker they got to sell, which is a full-time job, right? So running your Nike operation at that, at that level is a full-time job. If you're going to get in front of the camera, take time out of your day, Either the money's got to be through the roof, which most of these brands can't do, or you have to really love and and believe the message that you're saying about this company. So you can't just go take a deal and stand in front and, and start, like, selling, uh, you know, pots and pans and, and cars and all these things if it doesn't really mean something to you. So And there's no amount of money at that level that can really get them to – like deliver an, an authentic message. So I think that what happens is you start seeing these like flagship brands and these like legacy companies that you get in business with for a Kevin or a LeBron that will 
hopefully carry on throughout your career. And those are the ones that you may not have equity in, but those are the ones that you're building businesses with. That's Nike, right? That's Sprite for LeBron or HP for LeBron. Um, and then aside from that, you look at opportunities where you can really build your generational wealth and you can have equity in something that you can help build, help deliver the message for and promote, but that you wear your CEO hat and you, you have a skin in the game. So as you deliver this message to try to help this product grow, you're growing the company with you and you're not just getting paid for service because you're at the point where you're, you know, you, you can, you can change the direction of how a company goes in some ways. And if you're going to do that, there's really no price that you can pay someone. I mean, there is, but those companies aren't going to do that. We'll return to our conversation after a word from our sponsor. This episode of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Ergon Office, who manufacture beautiful, high-quality electronic standing desks. Co-founded by former hockey player Sam Finn, Ergon Office is on a mission to inspire people to live a more active lifestyle because the human body just wasn't meant to be sitting 13 hours a day. When I'm not in the recording studio, I have a home office and I like to alternate standing and sitting throughout the course of the day. If I don't, my back gets sore or it'll lock up. I also get an energy boost every time I stand and work or talk on the phone. Studies have proven alternating between sitting and standing leads to increased productivity and a reduction in muscle disorders like back pain or carpal tunnel, which costs society close to $50 billion annually in lost productivity and medical bills. What I love the most about Ergon Office is that the desks adjust using an embedded touchscreen, allowing you to switch seamlessly between a sitting and standing position in seconds. You can even save your preferred heights for more convenience. Ergon Office's height-adjustable desks are available in Canada and the United States. Change how you work and be healthier in the process. Ergon Office has beautiful, high-quality desks with a unique design, and they couldn't be easier to adjust. Their customer service is great, too, so they'll help you find the best desks that work for your needs. I'm a really big fan of this company. Check them out at ergonoffice.com backslash SBR and use the promo code SBR10 to get 10% off any standing desk. That's ergonoffice, E-R-G-O-N-O-F-I-S dot com backslash SBR, promo code SBR10. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at ergonoffice. Now back to our conversation. Let's talk about your YouTube channel. I, I really like it. I like the videos on there, a number of subscribers to it. In your mind, what's the recipe for a viral video? Because I got to tell you, Rich, I, I look at not so much on your channel, but I look at some of these videos and I'm like, that thing got 3 million views. And you look at others and you're like, that's really good. And it only got like 10,000 views. So I don't know what the recipe is. But in your mind, what's the recipe for a viral video? Um, well, at this point, I think... The recipe for a viral video is when a viewer can truly get something that they can't get from your social media on a daily basis or from someone else 50 times over. So you can see some of the best um, produced and highest quality viral videos and no one wants to see it because it looks like an interview you'd see everywhere else. What we did with Kevin's YouTube is we, Kevin was at a point where he wasn't very active on Instagram. He wasn't very active on Twitter. Um, we were developing some content in a more traditional way, but in terms of connecting with his fans, he wasn't really um, enmeshed in that process anymore. And we went to YouTube and met with Susan and Robert and Neil Mohan, all the top 
CEOs and, and product people there. We, we walked around and we saw what The Rock was doing. We saw what you know, random people in their fields or, or even just YouTube creators that were building these enterprises. And it really connected with both of us. And we said to ourselves, like, this really, like, just on the, like, snap of a finger becomes your own ESPN, your own network, your own everything, your own showtime, whatever you want it to be. And it became, for Kevin, like, a really comfortable and exciting place to connect with his fans. So it could be just writing on his community page. It could be live streaming. It could be video on demand that we create. And then once we built that following and that viewership, we were able to create stuff that didn't even involve Kevin all the time. And that's why we do JaVale McGee's show on the network. And then what that turned into was us really working closer with YouTube on how other athletes could see the network the way Kevin has used it. So in the next week, we're announcing our partnership in, in more, um, you know, in, in greater detail with YouTube. And you'll hear about some of the other athletes that networks are launching that we're helping develop and some other shows for YouTube that we're helping develop. So that really turned into a great business for us and really excited about it. But I think for Kevin, you know, it's a really, um, it's a really kind of, uh, it's a really, um, like I said, safe place because the fan base there are real Kevin Durant fans. So then I've looked at his brands and said, you can go all over the place trying to promote these products that are related to Kevin or promote his shoe. But I'm telling you, I have, 600,000 subscribers and probably a million loyal viewers in overall that are absolute Kevin Durant fans. That's why when you see the comments on his videos or his community page, you don't see the negative comments you'll see on Twitter, Instagram, or everyone else's social media because you've really built this like real fan base and viewership. So it's really exciting for us, and they keep giving us new products to, to utilize and, and new access. And um, I think now that we've built, like I said, we've built this fan base, we're able to... Um, to develop other kind of programming for the network that's not just Kevin, 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 but at the end of the day, it's driven by like the access that Kevin gives. And then again, we've utilized the companies that we've invested in, like the overtime video series we're doing. Uh, we're working on a brand of content deal with our partner, Alaska Airlines. We're doing one with American Family Insurance. So you'll see a lot more content on the network, and then you'll see a lot more networks from other athletes. So I want to ask you about Kevin Durant as a charitable person i you know i first saw him play when he was uh a freshman in high school aau basketball again i I was around the nike circuit and i saw what he did this week and i saw the picture of you guys on instagram at university of texas and uh his giving the three million dollars for the basketball facility there maybe you can just talk a little bit about that side of kevin durant because he seems like such a generous guy and especially for the people you know, that in Baltimore and in Texas, the people that have been there with him from the beginning? Um, yes. Well, that's, that's, um, that's probably the most fascinating part of him because I honestly think that if Kevin wasn't playing basketball, that's probably what he'd be doing. I think he'd be in philanthropy and, and, and I think he'd be, you know, giving back or, or offering up his services and his you know, in, in his actual time on a daily basis and being around kids because it comes so naturally, it's so instinctual. So when you hear the story about him giving a million dollars when the hurricane tore Oklahoma apart, that's not like his team getting together and saying, Kevin, what's your response? That's like Kevin calling his team and saying, I got to give you a million dollars. I got to, uh, I got to give them a million dollars. What can I do? I got to go walk the, the, you know, the damages because that's just what he wants to do innately. So the foundation now is really 
driven by that in him. Um, we build basketball courts all over the world. We built in China and Germany. Um, we just built two courts in India. We have another 12 in the U.S., and we're always building more and more. And for Kevin, you know, there's so many ways that he can give back, um, and he does, and usually very anonymously. Um, but with the basketball courts, I think he feels like the one haven he had growing up. Um, and the one thing that was able to keep his head on straight and, and keep him distracted from the environment that he grew up in was the parks and the relationships that he developed there. And not just how good he was at basketball, but just what that meant, the friendships that were developed there. You know, the rec center he grew up in was where he was exposed to everything in his life for the first time. So what he can do is bring that to these communities. So we've done that aggressively. And I think for these kids being able to see him touch, you know, touch their communities, be on the ground, you know, put these clinics in place to launch these courts, have his name on the courts, redo their park, acknowledge that they exist and their community exists becomes something that they can really like, you know, build off of and become very aspirational. So that's something that we've really put a lot of pride in. And then we're in, um, development right now on a really big project in D.C. Um, that we're going to announce in next month. And this is his life's dream. You know, I think uh, alongside playing basketball, what he's doing in his hometown and really close to where he grew up is everything that, like, exemplifies what he's about. And that's, you know, like the pillar project for our foundation. I think, like, you know, to make an analogy, probably similar to what um, LeBron did back in Akron, but this is a bit different, and our partnership is a bit unique and ties back to the Bay, which is cool. The legacy thing, right? I mean, long after he's gone and you're gone, people are going to come to that facility, and, and he'll re- be remembered with those people as much for that as anything he's done on the basketball court, which is great. So I've got to ask you this question. You know, when Kevin was deciding between OKC and the Golden State Warriors, I said to people, like, if you look at things on paper, the opportunities in Silicon Valley and in Northern California are so much greater than Oklahoma City. No offense to Oklahoma City here. I mean, but, I mean, look at all the companies that you're doing business with. Then, you know, I hear people argue, well, you know, in today's digital world, athletes can be anywhere and they can be a big brand. So here's my question. If Kevin didn't go to the Golden State Warriors, would you guys have the same business opportunities that you have now that he is there? No, um, for sure not. Now, but it doesn't mean that we wouldn't have been as successful and it would have taken a different um, turn. Now, we were investing in some tech companies, but of course not. Um, you know, and that's that's just the reality of, you know, if you you play in L.A., you might be exposed to more opportunities in film and television. If you play in New York, uh, there's a certain, you know, art and fashion and, and music that you can get um, uh, exposed to. And in the Bay, you're going to be around tech, and that's the reality. But obviously, I think from a philanthropic standpoint, from a brand standpoint, and from a um, and from a business standpoint, we would have, you know, we would have built something as meaningful, but it would have had a bit of a different twist. Now, the flip side is there's probably an argument that um, whereas a businessman, his brand has grown as a personality or entity, his brand, you know, has taken a hit, and he knew that. Um, And it's taken a hit in terms of likability, but that is to be expected. And that we've seen from so many of, like, the great athletes, and in my opinion, there's a pendulum that, wings with that and 
you know, Kevin is no different than the guy who gave the MVP speech, and he's no different than the person that did everything that he did in the community of Oklahoma and still does. You know, I had a phone call today about um, continuing to help develop a, a tuition-free private school for homeless kids in Oklahoma that he's been supporting forever. That part of him has not changed, but the public persona, which is like the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, right? Like, do the do the fans love him or hate him this year? Took a hit, and then that affects certain things, right? Um, but his business, I think, would have been fine no matter where he was. It just it wouldn't have been as enmeshed in the tech world. Well, in proximity, right? Like, if you're there in Silicon Valley, like, you can go to meetings much more easily than you can if you're in Oklahoma City. And if Kevin is like you say he is, where he reads people really well, I'm assuming he wants to be in those meetings, too. So it's great that you're yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, he is. But he is, and, and without question. However, not once, though no one would believe us, but not once in our four days of deliberating did Silicon Valley come up? That is factual. Like, never once were we like, well, okay, plus, minus, minus. There's no tech world in Oklahoma. Like, plus, there's a big tech world in San Francisco. That just never came up. Interesting. So here's the last question for you. When you and Kevin, who obviously have a great relationship, when you have some downtime, what are you guys doing to have fun? Uh, same thing you're doing. We're out for dinner with Sean. You know, we're also 12 years apart. I'm married, and or 11 years apart. I'm married and kids, and he's not. So I live in New York. So I'm back and forth, New York and the Bay, New York and the Bay. So when I leave the Bay and I come home, I go back to my real life. And then when I'm in the Bay, uh, you know, we drink wine, we go for dinner. We are obsessed with documentaries. So, like, whenever I'm out there for, like, a long work stand, we went through a run where we watched, like, uh, Andy Kaufman, Clive Davis, Steven Spielberg's, uh, the Whitney Houston documentary, obviously the fine ones. I mean, we were on a run. Um, so, and those are like mind blowing. He's Kevin's like the king of like, if, if he's watching, um, billions, if he's like binge watching billions and there's a term that he doesn't understand and they're like, man, I have to short that stock. He'll pause it. Like, Google shorts, like shorting a stock and then like 20 minutes later press play because he just mastered the understanding of um, shorting a stock. So now he can watch it. So like he's just like a sponge, man. He's so worldly and like well-read. It's crazy. Wow. Well, I've wanted to do this interview for a long time. I really appreciate you taking the time. You can follow Rich on Twitter and Instagram at Rich Kleiman. That's K-L-E-I-M-A-N. Rich, thank you so much for making the time to join me on Sports Business Radio. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Anytime. This keep, is fun. Yeah, keep up the great work. You're doing an amazing job, and uh, I really like what you're doing with Kevin, so keep it up. Thanks, man. All right, I'll talk to you soon. That's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Again, a special thank you to Boingo Wireless for sponsoring our Sports Business Radio Roadshow events. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio, rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and of course at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.
Reserve your spot for the 2018 Sports PR Summit presented by the Players' Tribune on Tuesday, May 22nd at the Players' Tribune headquarters in New York City. The Sports PR Summit brings together elite athletes, national media members, and senior PR and social media executives for panel discussions, featured conversations, and networking opportunities. The event allows PR execs to lead with a better understanding of the elite athletes, owners, commissioners, and national media people they're working with. The event also allows attendees to see Derek Jeter's one-of-a-kind digital publishing company, The Players' Tribune, up close, as well as network with top Players' Tribune executives. Passports PR Summit speakers include NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, NASCAR legend Jeff Gordon, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, NFL stars Anquan Bolden and Demarcus Ware, Cleveland Cavaliers all-star Isaiah Thomas, WNBA legend Lisa Leslie, ESPN reporters Tom Rinaldi and Jeremy Schapp, and Sports Illustrated executive editor and 60 Minutes correspondent John Wartime. The Sports PR Summit has sold out each of its first five years, and there are only 125 spots. Reserve your spot today by going online to sportsprsummit.com. Follow the Sports PR Summit on Twitter and Instagram at Sports PR Summit. I hope to see you on May 22nd at the Players' Tribune in New York City.